Wow, what an exciting morning this is. It's been a long time in coming. Um, it is super exciting to see all of you here. I, it's great that I know most of you, but I don't know all of you. So I hope one day to get to know all of you. I'll say it again at the end, but it's important. Before you leave this place today, meet someone that you don't know. Shake their hand, learn their name, maybe go out to lunch afterwards. But turn with me this morning to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. If you know me, you know that I love to, to talk about Jesus and I love to have personal conversations with people uh, about their soul and about what they know about the Lord, where they've come from, what their story is, where they're going. And that is not a new thing. I'm just trying to follow in the pattern of Jesus. Because Jesus preached to big crowds of people but Jesus was also intensely personal in his ministry. One person at a time in counseling conversations, depending on where that person was, you can read all different stories in the scriptures, from poor people to rich people to sick people to people with possessed of demons. Jesus sat down and spoke to them one-on-one -on -one to disciple them. And we must not lose sight of how incredible this is because this is Almighty God condescending from heaven, Emmanuel, God with us, that he might be in our midst. But you would assume that when Jesus came down that he would isolate himself in some palace or something and we'd have to come to him as, a, as we would any normal great king. But instead we find him walking the streets of the ancient Near East amongst all kinds of dirty people and people that needed the Lord and people that were broken in every possible way all the way down to talking to people on their back porch as it were. I don't think they have back porches in the Middle East. It's probably on the flat roof. But talking to people one person at a time. And that's what we've got here in John chapter 3. This morning I'm going to talk you through the story of Nicodemus. It's our tradition in this church to stand to honor the Lord as we read his word. So please stand as we read, uh, as I read for you, John chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. Nicodemus. Who is Nicodemus? Who is this guy? He was a Pharisee. You've got to remember back at this time in ancient Israel, uh, uh, the land of Israel was occupied by the Romans. It was governed by them, and the Jewish people were under their rule. And one of the factions of that time, political and religious, was the Pharisee, the factions of the Pharisees. They were a powerful religious group that eventually delivered Jesus over to crucifixion. And they believed very much that their salvation was going to come from keeping a long, meticulous set of rules and laws. And so they were all about keeping very particular rules, hoping that God would be satisfied with them. And they prided themselves in their separation from the common man as those who were honoring God by their rule-keeping and others were not nearly uh, so well-loved by the Lord in their understanding. But Nicodemus seeks out Jesus personally. Why? Because he knows there's something wrong in his heart. That all of his rule-keeping and all of his religious, man-made religion and all of his morality has not brought him any closer to having peace with God. There's still guilt in his heart. There's still confusion. And he has no peace. And as we see in verse 2, he knows something is going on with Jesus because he tells Jesus, I know you are from God. It's not a very clear theological statement, but he knows something is going on here, that Jesus is different than the people he has been following, and the way Jesus teaches and the way Jesus acts and what he does is truly divine, and it's more powerful and different than what he has been following. But we see that he does not understand. But he asked to talk with Jesus at night, I think largely because he's afraid of his fellow Pharisees who hate Jesus and are always plotting for how to get rid of him. He doesn't want to be seen meeting with Jesus, but Jesus is okay with that. All right, let's meet at night. I'll I'll meet you where you want to meet. Jesus always had a busy schedule. Don't think it was any easier for Jesus to meet people one-on-one at night than it is for someone to come to you and say, Hey, brother, I'm having a lot of trouble. Can we meet tonight? And you, you push the calendar aside and you make time to meet with that person. So it was with Jesus that he loved this man, and he met him where he was, and he begins to talk to him. But like Jesus always does when he has spiritual conversations with people, he goes straight to the heart of the matter. He does not beat around the bush or go down rabbit trails. What does he say to him? He says, you must be born again if you are going to enter the kingdom of God. Right to the heart of the matter. And I want to tell you this morning that things haven't changed in the human condition in 2,000 years. If you are going to be forgiven of your... I didn't see you back. Sorry. Awesome to see you, brother. Uh, If you're going to be forgiven of your sins, you must be born again. You must have new spiritual life. What does this mean? If your soul this morning is the same way that Nicodemus's was, where you are crushed by guilt and anxiety and you have no peace and you are confused, it is because you have not been born again. There is trouble in your soul. There is death in your soul. Perhaps you are like Nicodemus and that you have much religious knowledge. You have much background of knowing things about God and knowing tidbits about the Bible, but you've never been able to put it together in understanding what it means to have a personal relationship with God. 
And when I read this passage this morning, you react to it in the same way that Nicodemus did, saying, what in the world are you talking about? How can someone be born again? That doesn't make any sense. So Jesus goes on, and he teaches him more. So we go to verse 5. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit. So he starts talking about two different births, the first being an obvious birth of the flesh, where you're born, you're physically alive. All of us that have children have been a part of that, and we know what it means to be physically alive. But we also, as we hear Jesus' teaching, we understand that children are born in rebellion. You and I were born in sin. We, didn't, we weren't born naturally loving God. We are born in spiritual death. And our soul, our spirit is not alive. We must be born again, that by the mercy and power of God, we must be made alive in the soul. This is the second birth. But verse 8, which is somewhat confusing, talks about the wind blowing around and, and not sure what's going on here. What it's talking about is that we cannot cause the second birth. The second birth, or you being made alive in your soul, is a work of the Lord, in Ephesians 2.8, it says, this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. The Lord must make your soul alive. He's the one that came to you and works upon your heart to cause something to happen that you can never cause on your own. So Nicodemus, verse 9, still, what are you talking about? What, what in the, how can these things be, is his response. That still, not putting anything together. So what does that say about Nicodemus's heart, that he is a leader of the Jews and a religious leader, and he's, even after this, which you, if, you are a, if you are a follower of Christ, you begin to understand what's going on here, he does not understand what's happening. And it speaks directly to the fact that despite all of his religion and all of his moralism, he has no personal relationship with God. He still does not understand what is going on today. And I urge you, if what I just said makes no sense to you, you must examine your soul because this is a base-level teaching of Jesus. Keep listening to what is happening here. Keep seeking because even though Nicodemus did not understand it, he kept seeking. He kept searching because he knew that Jesus was from God. He's like, there's something here. I don't get it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep looking after it. I'm going to keep seeking. But Jesus has a rebuke for him because he's in a different situation than, than most of you in this room. He was a significant spiritual leader. He should know better. And what does Jesus say to him in verse 10? You, are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? He's a teacher supposedly of how to know God and yet he was perpetuating a dead and empty religious system. And there are many churches like that today. Any church that has forsaken teaching the Bible because they're embarrassed by the Bible or they think the Bible is somehow outdated and they want to come up with a different man-made system of religion to teach people that they think is more with the times or whatever, they are perpetuating a dead system of religion. We must go back to the scriptures and teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Nicodemus was a spiritual leader, but he was a blind guide. But Jesus, he doesn't dwell there. Because his goal is to reach the heart of this man, that this man might believe and be saved. And so teaching about himself, he moves on. What does he say? Well, he gives him an example. In verse 14, he talks about this Old Testament example because 
Nicodemus would have been an Old Testament scholar. He would have known what was going on in the Old Testament. And so Jesus brings to bear a foreshadowing story about himself from Numbers chapter 21. An interesting story, a story about the people of Israel um, in their time of wandering in the desert. They are they bitterly complain against God all the time. And one of the times that they complain against the Lord, he sends a judgment of, of snakes into their camp. And the people are terrified of these things and people are being bit and they go to Moses and ask Moses to to plead with the Lord to remove this judgment and they turn away from their sins and the Lord asks for Moses to do something unusual and in it being unusual it is something that is going to be a foreshadowing of something to come. He asks him to put a, a bronze snake on a pole, hold this thing up and when the people look at it and trust in the Lord for their uh, salvation, for their forgiveness of, of the sin that they have caused in rebelling against the Lord, that they will be saved from it. That symbol is still with us today. It's often in medical offices on the side of ambulances. It's a general sign for healing. If you've ever seen that snake on the pole, that's where it comes from, from Numbers chapter 21. This idea of something lifted up and we look to it for healing. Well, Jesus directly connects it with himself in John chapter 3, verse 14, because Jesus has always been the plan, the final plan of salvation. There are many things that foreshadowed his coming in the Old Testament, but they were all looking towards him, who was the final one, the Messiah, who was going to accomplish our salvation. There would be no more looking forward. It would be finished with him. And so he says in verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Speaking of the cross, the idea of Jesus lifted up upon a cross, dying there for you and for me. And after this, in verse 16, one of the most famous verses in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world. We have to understand that God loved us first. God loved you before you loved him. That while you were rebellious, while you were angry, while you were a drunk, while you were proud, while you were immoral, stealing, lying, whatever, the Lord loved you. He looked down upon your corruption and my corruption, and he looked down upon us with compassion and love, that he might work salvation and save us by forgiving us of our sins. He loved you before you loved him, and he sent his son Jesus. It's crazy in this conversation, Jesus sitting there talking to this man, that God sent Jesus, he sent me to save you. I just the, the personal nature of that is shocking. But it's the same way for you. He sent his son that you might be forgiven of your sins. The rebellion and corruption of the world could not be just overlooked. Justice requires sin before a perfectly righteous God to be paid for. The wages of sin is death, separation from God. As he said early on, no one will enter the kingdom of God without spiritual birth. No spiritually dead person that is corrupt and wicked will ever enter the kingdom of God. Something must happen for that person to be forgiven of their sins and made new that they might enter into the presence of God. And only Jesus can accomplish this. So he comes as our Savior, as our substitute. His perfection, he dies for us, takes our sins in his own body that the penalty might be paid my debt, your debt, but he did not remain dead. We know that three days later he rose from the grave. He was witnessed by many. Nicodemus, my guess being one of them, we're going to come back to that in a minute. 
and he ascended into heaven. So that the end of this verse, whosoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Whosoever believes. Did Nicodemus believe these things? Did Nicodemus believe that Jesus was the son of God as he sat there next to him? Did he believe it? Did he believe that Jesus was able to forgive? Did he believe that Jesus was able to overcome death and and make good on this tremendous promise of giving eternal life? Do you believe these things? I don't know where you stand in your belief. Do you believe that Jesus was who he said he was? Do you believe that he has risen from the dead? Do you believe that he can give you life eternal? But before we go there, let's see what else Jesus teaches. Because he teaches us about a specific and important worldview issue that that goes right to the heart of much of our day and age. The issue of why did Jesus come? Did he come to condemn the world or did he come to save the world? And Jesus is very clear right here with Nicodemus in verse 17. That he did not come, God did not send the Son of Man into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And this is a worldview issue. It's how you look at the world. When we look out at the world through the lens of the scriptures, we see that the world is already condemned, as it says in verse 18b. That we look out in the world, we can see it. We can see the world being consumed by death and violence. The world being consumed by greed and war and lies and perversion. And the world is obviously a corrupt place. And Jesus did not come to condemn this world, but to save people from it. He came as a savior to give spiritual life to those who believe in his name. To forgive them, to make them new, to give them a new heart, to make them alive in their spirit. And to set them free from the bondage of sin and death. But salvation is by faith. We believe. That's what he says here and the whole Gospel of John is written to make clear to us that we must believe these things. We must take a step of faith for something that we have seen and heard and read, and we must believe it. Nicodemus was in a different place. He got to see Jesus do miracles, and he got to hear him teach from his mouth. He got to sit next to him. He had read the Old Testament scriptures, but did he still have to make a step of faith? Yes, He had to still make a step of faith to believe that Jesus was the Son of God. And so it is that you must also make a step of faith. From what you have seen, from what you have heard, from what you have read in the Scriptures, you must make a choice to believe that Jesus is Lord. In the Scriptures, there's different ways that people respond to the teachings of Jesus, different ways that people respond to the Scriptures. The first is some people, and this may be you, when you hear me preach, when you hear the Scriptures taught, You just hate it all. Like, I I don't want to have anything to do with any of this. And it just makes you burn in anger. And we see those people in the scriptures. They hate Jesus. And unfortunately, we all probably know someone like that who is bitter to the core in their hatred of the Lord. I pray for those people that God would soften their heart. But there are others, such as in Matthew 19, there's this encounter between Jesus and this rich young man. When this rich young man comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus tells him, he uh, tells him about you know, a, a number of the Ten Commandments, uh, basic commands. And this guy is very proud. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I got that, Jesus. I've been doing all that stuff since I was a kid. 
Well, that says a lot about who he is, that he's, he's got those things nailed down that all the rest of the world struggles with. But he says, I've got this. What else do I need to do? Well, Jesus knows your heart just like he knew this guy's heart. And he knew the problem with this guy's heart was that he loved the world. And so Jesus told him, go and sell everything that you have and then come back. And if you remember the response, the response was that the man was sad because he had many possessions and he walked away and wanted to have nothing to do with Jesus because it would have cost him what he had. And he loved the world. In John 3.19, right what we're reading today, it says very clearly, and this is the judgment, that light has come into the world, but people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. If you love your evil ways and you love this world, there will be no salvation. But then there's characters like Nicodemus who didn't understand, didn't understand, but it was looking and seeking and trying to understand who Jesus was. And he grows in his faith. We have another encounter with him in chapter 7 where the Pharisees were meeting together for how to, how to get rid of Jesus. And he, he stands up for Jesus in a, in a public place. Like, let, let's just hear him out. Let's just, just, let's just hear him out. It's a very quick passing bit on Nicodemus. But the next time we see Nicodemus is powerful. We see him at the end of the Gospel of John in John chapter 19. After the death of Jesus Christ, where Jesus' dead body is hanging on the cross. And as it hangs there, the sun is going down. And they, want, they have to take these bodies down because of a Jewish uh, traditional issue. What's going to happen with the body of a crucified Roman criminal? Well, it's going to be thrown on a mass grave and probably burned. And Nicodemus loved Jesus. And he could not see this happen. And so he and another man named Joseph of Arimathea came and asked the judge, asked Pilate for Jesus' body. And they took his body, and with their own hands and with their own money, they embalmed him and put him in a grave. It's amazing to think about him, what must have been going through Nicodemus' mind, thinking back to this night conversation and all the interactions that he had had with Jesus, and thinking that he was of God, he is the Savior. And then he's sitting here with his own hands, wrapping him in linen cloths as he has died. But yet he did it as an act of faith, and he did it because he loved Jesus. There was nothing that said he had to do this. He did it because he loved him. And in, fil- in doing that, he has finally learned to fulfill the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you miss the fact that you're, what it's all about is loving the Lord Jesus, then you've missed it all. It is about loving him, and then because he has changed us, we love other people. So eventually Nicodemus, wherever it happened along the way, Nicodemus came to know and love the Lord Jesus. And we have to believe he was one of the people that saw him raised from the dead and was overjoyed and could not put together again. I don't understand this. He was dead and now he's alive. Like, what has happened here? He's trying to wrap his mind around it. Where are you this morning? If you know that there is something to Jesus, I urge you to believe it this morning. I do. You're gonna, you've got to come to a place where you, where you say, I believe these things. But if you're not there yet this morning, then I urge you to keep seeking. I urge you to come back to this place and hear more teaching from the scriptures. I urge you to come to small groups, hear teaching from the scriptures. Be around other Christians that believe these things and can help explain things to you, can encourage you in your walk with the Lord. Read the Bible. Jesus himself will reveal himself to you. He will begin to make these things clear, and he will change your life. You will be reborn. If you already know Jesus as your Savior, I encourage you 
to speak about it to other people. There are people all around you in your workplace, in your neighborhood that do not know the Lord, and you must talk to them. I'm not trying to come up with some contrived, weird situation, but the Lord will present opportunities for us to talk to people about the Lord. I encourage you, be a personal evangelist, not in a formulaic way, but like Jesus was. Sit down, answer people's questions, tell them the truth, and they may not understand the truth, but tell it to them again in a different way, and then tell it to them again in a different way, and encourage them to read the Bible, and eventually the Lord will do a work of salvation in their own heart. And so reach out to those who are around you in the same way that Jesus did. For we must be born again. Without it, we will never enter the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word to us this morning. Uh, It's a beautiful story, a personal story. I thank you for your work in the life of Nicodemus. I thank you for your patience with me over the years as it's taken me so long to understand certain aspects of who you are, but I thank you that you are so patient with us. I pray for anyone here today that does not understand what it means to be born again, to humble themselves, to confess your sins and believe that Jesus is Lord. But if there is someone that is prepared to do that this morning, I pray that they would and that they would not delay. Lord, may you be at work in our midst. We thank you for your blessing to us this morning in this church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So what we're going to do now, um, I believe when the scriptures are preached that the Lord works in our hearts. He, he does something. He often call, he convicts us. He calls us to decision. He, he works in us. And we will always have a time of decision as we worship after the, after the message. And so if you feel like you need to pray, you can come down here and kneel. If you need to pray about something, I'll be glad to pray with you. If you want to put your faith in Christ this morning publicly in front of these people, do it. But we're gonna, I'll be down front, uh, and after we worship, we'll be done.